2: University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. I didn't invite Gary to this one. I don't know why. But uh, Jordan, you're kind of our unofficial, always cured co-host. Uh, Jordan Preezy's in with us. I'd say in-studio, but we're actually in my house, and I've set up this uh, little studio. Uh, Jordan, how you been? Everything's good, man. We,
3: uh, we were in Washington for about the last three years and just moved back here, so moved up to Heber and yeah, got right in. I started, uh, Jack's going to be the other guy that's here uh, on this podcast, but got right into hockey right away, and Jack was running some things and had some things set up, and, and uh, he offered for me to come and train the goalies, and it's been phenomenal since I got here.
2: Nice, so... Jack Skilly, welcome to the show, first time on the show. Uh, You've been around for a while. Jack, can you tell us just a little bit, uh, just so our audience knows a little bit about you, tell us where you're from, like a little bit of your playing background. Uh, Well, thanks
4: for having me. I'm I'm honored to be here. Uh, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, originally, born and raised uh, and played professional hockey for, geez, 14 seasons, Um, bounced around quite a bit. Um, it was, I think it was three years minors, seven years NHL, and then four years Europe and Russia combined. So, started out drafted in the first round actually with uh, Chicago Blackhawks right when I was 18, senior in high school. Went and played for University of Wisconsin Madison for two years, won a championship our freshman year against Jordan that year. <laughs> so, I got to rub that in a little bit. Um, that's where we first, uh, I first was really introduced to Jordan and knowing he was on the hockey radar good goaltender I never scored on him by the way um, <laughs> I went and confirmed all this to you <laughs> yeah yeah he went and confirmed all that he had to make sure but yeah and then pursued my 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 um, NHL and, uh, and pro career beyond that point at school so it's been a long road how did you end up in Utah my wife actually so uh, my wife Sarah was living out here for geez I think it was three four years and uh, my second cousin actually my mom's cousin had been living out here and knew Sarah and for like four years wow. was trying to set us up. And, you know, my life just wasn't lining up with that at that point, but eventually right. it did and the rest is history.
2: Nice. So. All right. Well, that's, that's an impressive player resume, player resume. Um, well, that's awesome. Thanks for coming again. It's, it's uh, awesome to have you guys on the show and Jordan, you and I have been, uh, we've talked a lot about all kinds of hockey stuff on this show and you were telling me now that you're back, you're just, you and Jack got together and you're talking about hockey camps, which is something I get asked about all the time on the show is, you know, which hockey camp do I support or whatever? And obviously you and I ran mine for about 19 years. I mean, you were a part of it for a majority of that. And then we, um, when you were playing in Europe, it didn't line up. So we ended up bringing in Troy Davenport and who else be, Elliot Hogue? Elliot Hogue, yep. Um, and some others, you know, so it's uh, it, it's been a long time, and there's a lot to talk about when it comes to hockey camps because there's so many of them. And my philosophy with hockey camp was, well, the reason, and I told you at first because my first plan was like, well, I know you guys are teaching this at Shattuck. Why don't I just send a bunch of Utah guys to Shattuck? I'll line that all up and send them all. And I think my son was like one or two at the time. And then I realized it's a lot cheaper if I just pay you guys, bring you here, and we do the best camp we possibly can and save everybody money. And then it was an eye-opener for me to start trying to get parents to pay for stuff. And in Utah, where, you know, you've got a hockey dad, and he's got four kids playing hockey, and, you know, gear's expensive, and the season's expensive, and then you're like, hey, I'm going to do a hockey camp, Uh, goalies are $700, for a week or you know your kids 300 bucks or whatever it's, as a player and i got a lot of pushback and a lot of parents thought they knew better or the money things always a big deal right but you started talking to me and you're like i'm gonna i'm we're gonna rejuvenate and reimagine hockey camps right that's kind of yeah. basically what you're saying so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys are planning on doing and, and how you're gonna go about it
3: yeah, so the last couple of years I've been running a hockey camp here in Utah. We ran one at Murray, and we ran one at Cottonwood Heights. And kind of the how we were setting those up, how we were structuring them, was just doing a three-day or a four-day camp. And every day we'd you know, have the kids for an ice session or two ice sessions and then a workout or some sort of off-ice deal. And us as coaches, we were trying to figure out a way – we're going to dump so much information on these kids in such a short period of time. We need to give them some sort of supplement so that once they leave this ice session with, up, uh, with us, then they have something that they can take with them. <clears throat> and we started to realize that we we gave everybody a, a, a book that basically had all of, their, all of the uh, crease work that we were talking about that week. We gave them a book that had all of the uh, drills that we did that week. And we just expected like, okay, they're going to take this. Hopefully they're going to, we we were encouraging kids to take this to their coach, take this to to other players and say, Hey, can you run these drills? And then, you know, they would have something when they got done or, you know, during their season. And when I started coming back and training kids, I was seeing that the development was not where I thought it was going to be which leads me to believe that either we dumped too much information on them in a short period of time or people weren't taking this stuff and then going and working on it within the season or they weren't even given the opportunity to work on it during the season. So I realized that we had to come up with a different plan. Excuse me. And so I I talked with Jack at length and we started to consider, okay, what are they doing in different places where there's more success, longer-term development, more success, more consistency, And Jack at the time was running a a school in Wisconsin, and we started coming up with a plan. We looked at Minnesota. Minnesota does, they do a thing called MAP. They do FIT. They do, what's the other one called? Mega. Mega. And they run summer-long programs. And if you look at the kids that start those and then end those, the development is exponential. And so I started to think, like, we need to do something that's a longer-term play. So, I was running my three day camps, expecting that you know when I came back that the the development would be very high, it wasn't as high as I wanted it to be at no fault to anybody except for myself and then I came back this year, and I said, "You know what? I think I'm going to do these long term things and and Jack at the time said, well, actually I'm running a, a spring camp that's going from mid March and through um no ap- yeah mid april mid April yeah. through May, and then another camp." Uh, that is all of June, and then I figured, well, I would just run one the entire month of July. So I I structured a program this year where we have three different camps going on at one time. We have a prospect camp, which is the for the real diehard kids and the ones that are really want to push to get to the next level. That's going to be a four day per week camp for the entire month of July. Then we have a an elite camp that is a two day per week. Again for the entire month of July, and then we have our traditional development camp that is just for that one weekend. And so now parents can look at this and say, number one, what's going to fit into our schedule? Uh, look at the kids and say, okay, where how, where do we want to get to? You know, do we want to be? Do we want to get to that top level? We we change the age groups as well, um, and then we have the development camp where that is a great introductory course, more more directed to younger kids, and just like, hey, this is what this is what our goaltending solution is all about. And we'd love to have you a part of it as we continue to progress over the next couple of years. So that's going to be our entire month of July. Like I said, we have three camps going. We're going to be at Steiner the entire time. They were phenomenal with us and it's going to give us everything that we need. And so that was the direction that I wanted to go. I didn't know how it was going to land. And within three days, we basically are at 75% or 80% capacity. So it's been a a great, I'm very, I was very surprised, but, I'm also extremely happy, and, and I think that parents and the goalies here realize that they need something more, and I'm very happy that I was be, I'm in the position that I can deliver that thing that was more for them.
2: Right. So, Jack, that's what's going on with the goalies. How are you handling it with, with the players? I, I imagine you're not dealing with the goalies. You're going to deal with the players. Are you, is it the same, same mindset? Yeah, so uh, Jordan
4: alluded to it. Last year, I was a director of hockey for a place called Valley Sports Academy in Eau Claire, Wisconsin and I was in charge of the hockey department. Part of that, it was a 116,000-square-foot facility. Um, a chunk of that is hockey. Part of that job, I had to research all of those programs, fit, map, mega, things that were going on in Hudson, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, all that area, um, Green Bay. Basically, think of an hour-and-a-half driving radius, You know, yeah. anything in those neck, that neck of the woods, trying to figure out what was going on, where we could fit it in, uh, what we could build, for the kids in that this immediate uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Chippewa Valley area. And what we built was uh, a, a spring program that was six weeks, which is pretty natural. It had been going on since I was a kid already. The summer program was a new thing for that area, and it was about 10 weeks long. Uh, each kid got uh, three hours per day, three times a week, so nine hours a week in training uh, at that facility, so on ice, shooting synthetic lanes after that. And then if they were the older group, uh, uh, they would do a gym, like a weight room, right? Okay. Um, younger kids would be on the, on, the, on the soccer fields or the baseball field, whatever is hoping for turf space just to do agility stuff and maybe just play a little bit, be kids as part of their training as well. Then there was uh, Jonathan Garcia who was actually here prior. Um, he, he came over there with me. He's running the skating treadmill in the synthetic space as well. So they were getting well-versed development everywhere, and I was doing the job, and it just wasn't what I expected it to be in terms of work-to-home life ratio and moving across country from the mountains, Um, beautiful lifestyle out here to pretty much flat, back to my (laughs) my, uh, childhood days of um, not much going on other than cheese curds and having some beer, right? (laughs) So... Uh, decided, you know what, we're not really happy here with this move. Let's move back. And and on the drive back, I didn't really know. It felt like I was jumping without a parachute. And very scary moment in my life, looking at my child in the back seat and wondering how I'm going to provide. And my wife, just as beautiful as she is, she was just like, well, why don't you just take what you learned and what you built in, in, in Wisconsin and just build it for the kids in Utah? I said, I don't know if I could do that. Well, you know, a 20-hour drive, enough time to think. And I realized, you know what, I can do this. I started making phone calls, and really in November, that was in November, that's when the hard work started. and I. And so what we have is that six-week spring program, it's April to May. We have one tournament this year. That's all I could really was willing to afford for tournament fees. I mean, tournament fees per team are about $2,000 per team. Right. So it's a lot of overhead that you're creating plus ice costs, all those things, not knowing if people are going to sign up. So again, back in November when I'm building this whole thing, it's you're rolling the dice, right? So fortunately we are full minus maybe six kids in the older age group, which is pretty natural. Um, Actually a couple kids in 10U, which is also very natural for year one. We have about two teams, For age group right now, Um, and and we have a tournament team for 12U, 14U, and 16U team, which are going to be traveling to Las Vegas at the end of May for their tournament. That'll be a lot of fun. And spring programs are just to be fun, extra development, play some extra games, nothing too serious, play with other kids that you don't play with during the year. Just really try to break out of that burnout. Right. And And then, sorry. And then summer is ten week or sorry, four weeks long, not ten weeks at the oval. Really, we went with the Oval instead of Steiner, not because of relationships relationship. Because Steiner was great as well, but it was more of an amenities thing. So Oval has the ice. They have the synthetic lanes. They have the weight room. They have the oh. track. They have a classroom. So we're going to integrate all those things, and they just made sense for year one and where we go for the next. We, we hope to stay at the Oval, but you never know.
2: No, kind of just take what's, what you're given and – that's, that's how it was for us. We just kept, my camp kept growing. Like, I just started with goalies, and then I ended up taking over another camp, and then it kept growing, and we started looking, at well, Murray has a weight room right next door. So we took that over and uh, started trying to just implement all those things that we knew were, that were good for development. So my question is, and a lot of pushback I got was, all right, well, it's summertime. All the big coaches are saying kids need to play multiple sports. My son played multiple sports, um, and we all know how that turned out. He went the wrong way, but... Um, my son, he was a really good hockey player. I'm just, I'm telling Jack so that people know what I'm talking about. He was a good hockey player, had opportunities to go play in the USHL. And instead he picked soccer, which we still almost forgave him for. We're working on it. It's hurts. But a lot of coaches say kids need to play multiple sports. So the program you have now is that you're not taking up their whole summer. You're still giving them time to develop and do other stuff, right? So that
4: was the big thing in Wisconsin that, that I came in there with too. I come from that background as well. I was a multi-sport athlete. I played baseball, soccer, even football. Like, I, I strongly believe you need to be an athlete. You need to learn how to develop. In fact, the flaw, I believe, in Utah is I see all these kids on the ice constantly. They're not doing enough off the ice. And if they play a sport, it's a, a, a small fraction of their calendar year, not enough to implement that athletic movement, whether they're playing lacrosse or they're running and doing that hand-eye. And uh, they're not really learning how to move as an athlete. So my background more is like I want you to become a better athlete because I'm training some people up in Park City. One's a pro hockey player currently, and then it's growing slowly but surely. But my whole idea is I want to teach you how to become a better athlete, move better. I want you to move like an athlete, and then by the time you get back onto the ice, it's the hockey coach's job to make you into a new, better hockey player. And you're going to be a better hockey player if you're a better athlete, right? But if you go in and you you don't do any of that work or you're the athlete that goes and you just, you're just you doing the beach body workout, barbell slamming, weight around in the and you're in, in the weight room and you're getting stronger but you're getting stiffer, you're not moving mm-hmm. very well, you're not going to help yourself on the ice either. So the whole point of this summer program is it's staggered. So, for instance, we have... Mondays, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we have our high school and Bantam groups. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have squirts and peewees and Friday. All, all groups are coming in on Friday at the Oval to do a scrimmage to be able to apply what they've learned in that week, right? So they still have a couple days within that week to go play be a kid or go play a different sport. Just go move, and what we're tr- what we're trying to teach them off the ice in our off ice training isn't slamming a barbell around or doing a bunch of beach curls. It's let's go and do some agility work. Let's let's learn how to move better as an athlete all around. And for the younger groups, it might be soccer. Oh. you know it might be kickball. You know yeah. it might be a glorified gym class, but still they're moving and they're learning how to move well. And I think that's something that. You know, in this world that we live in, you can see physical education classes are being removed from the curriculum now in school. Wow! In in some places in the country, maybe not in the state. I don't really
2: know. Oh, it's news to me. Right, but like they've
4: they've kind of shifted. It's not as important as it used to be when we were growing up. And you're starting to see that as athletes. You know, I got a pro athlete. I'm not going to say his name, but I tell it to his face. Like, hey, man, for pro athlete, you don't move that well you know you're moving pretty stiff like we got a lot of work to do right and that's kind of the goal of not kind of it is the goal of the summer program so we are trying to provide and facilitate that space for them to be kids and play other sports but when they are at our facility it's not just strictly hockey we're teaching them how to fish
2: so they're going to go and they can move
4: better when they go play other sports right be better athletes
2: that's, that's funny because we at our camp we always had handball, which was so much fun. And for like the first 10 years, the kids all looked forward to playing the handball. And the whole idea behind getting them out there playing handball is teaching them to read where other players are going because the rules of handball worked really well with like, you know, making passes, reading where other guys are going. You only have so many steps you can take. Um, and it still kind of worked into the hockey environment where we thought, all right, they're still they're moving as athletes. We're teaching them to read plays. And then it, I can't remember. It was like the 15-year mark where the parents really changed for us. I don't know if you remember, Jordy. But we had parents start complaining about an hour worth of handball a day. Because our camp was an all-day camp, and it was a, a week long, or sometimes two weeks long. We'd have them drop them off at 8 a.m., and we'd try to give them as much information as possible, stuff that they could carry on, and stuff that would help them develop. And part of that was Handball. We also had yoga, which I believe, you know, you strengthen your core, you strengthen your mind, strengthen your body. You get more flexible, which is supposed to help prevent injuries. And I had parents coming to me and saying, what is this yoga all about? Why? why, This isn't the religious. They're not going to be saying, like, namaste and stuff, are they? This isn't the religious Hindu stuff, is it? I'm like, it's yoga for athletes. So we had parents start picking apart our camp. And uh, one morning, Jordy was on the ice. Uh, You and Troy, I think, were both running – uh stuff. we didn't have pucks and you're just doing motion and i was sitting up uh, in the stands watching and one of the parents came to me he was like what is this trash i'm like what do you mean he's like why aren't they not even stopping pucks and i'm like man there's so much more that you don't understand like there's a foundation before you even get to the puck you have to learn how to skate to get in front of the puck and that's i think that's to speak into that a little bit in my experience especially
4: last year dealing with parents hockey parents a lot of a lot of it is education Right. And you can't be parents are not you can't go in with the angle of parents are the problem and they're unreasonable. Parents actually are very reasonable when you manage expectations. What I learned about from my last job is if I'm if I have employees that are under me and I don't explain to them like this is the worst part of your job. Like this is going to be the worst part of your work week and you're going to work this amount of hours. And as part of a startup, actually, you might, we might have to tack on that extra, those extra five, six, maybe eight hours during the week that you're not expecting today. But I'm going to manage that expectation by telling you that. Now, if you can handle that, this is a job for you, right? So when you go in and you, you have a manager that has managed that, now you know exactly what you have going in. So I think what I learned, not what I think, I know what I learned from a guy, Troy Ward, who's... Turned more of into a, a mentor now. Uh, he actually recruited me going into college. That's how small the hockey world is. He's now the GM of the Sioux City and USHL. Okay. He sat me down and said, you have to let parents in on the plan. You yeah. have to have a meeting with the players and the parents, and you have to let them in on it. they got to understand what they're paying for. So... What washes over me when you're talking about the handball is I believe in handball being great, hand-eye coordination. In fact, when you go and play against kids from Finland, goalies from Finland, I knew I'm going to go shelf on them. Like I'm going to go above the glove, try to tuck it right under the bar because they didn't play baseball growing up. Their hand-eye is probably pretty bad. I don't want to go low on them because they play soccer growing up. They're probably pretty good with their feet, right? So I learned that as we went on. So those sports all play a role in development like you alluded to. But did we let the parents in on that yeah. in the beginning of the camp? Do we explain in our development model, like, what is your development model? Do you have one? Don't just say it. How are you implementing it? So our development model, he's got a similar one. Um, it, our development model is mind, body, skills, systems, games, the pyramid. Now, if you flip that upside down. That's usually the parent model, (laughs) right? It's games, systems, skills, body, mind. Mind being like the, you know, we'll we'll get to mind later. Not a big deal, right? But for us, it's the opposite. Mind is the foundation. You don't have mind. You have nothing. Then it hooks into body. Body and mind hook into skill development. And then by that time, if you work on those three foundational elements, by the time they get to their coach, he can work on systems a lot easier because he's got a mentally sound, Physically sound and skilled, tactically sound players that he can hook into a system. And chances are, you cover all those bases. You're probably winning hockey games. That was Jordan's
2: dad. When I would try to get players out of Utah, either to Shattuck or to Des Moines, when your dad was coaching, uh, his dad would just, "Can he skate? Does he know how?" Just send him to me if he has. If he has the fundamentals, I'll teach him hockey. Like I'll teach him the systems part. Just if he can do the rest, right. And that can be easily stolen. That model, to say it, though, but is how are you
4: delivering it on the ice? How are you delivering it off the ice, and are you consistent with it? Because at the end of the day, you can say it all you want, but you have to be consistent. You have to keep on delivering. So to go back to the handball thing, hi, Mom and Dad. Thank you for coming. There's going to be chances we're going to be playing kickball, soccer, handball. Why? Because your kid's 9, 10 years old and just needs to move and move well and actually adapt in that element, in that environment, and he's going to get some agility. And, in fact, when you do a power cut as a 9- or 10-year-old, any actually a human being, the second you change directions from one direction to the other, that power cut, nine, uh, nine times your body weight is on that leg. Right? So tell me that's not strength training. Right. So, when you're playing handball, whether they realize it or not, and they say, Oh, we're not paying, you are paying for strength training here. You're getting strength training, even though they're playing a game. But that's the best part about kids. Jordan knows this, you know this with experience. The best way to keep kids engaged in their training is to make it almost invisible, their development. Uh, They can't know that they're actually working hard, they're just playing.
2: I had the benefit of being an e-bug for 25 years now, and I've watched some of the best coaches come through this program, the AHL or whatever. And anytime I'd see a drill that looked like it was a lot of work, but it was so much fun too, I I wrote it down. I'm like, this drill's awesome because they don't even understand how hard they're working because the drill's fun. And if you can mask the work and the learning with fun, the players are way more apt to do it. But I'll tell you, the first 15 years I ran a camp, you didn't have to explain anything to the parents. They dropped their kids off, and they were happy with it. Yeah, Like you are a babysitter. Yeah, and then the last 10 years, it, the, I, got, I stopped going on the ice because my other responsibility was to go around and just talk to the parents, and I spent hours in the stands educating, educating them on each thing. And we started every camp with a – we'd sit down and talk to the players. They'd go and start getting dressed. And then the coaches would go with them. And then I would sit down and talk to the parents like you're talking about. It was, it seemed like it was the best way to get everybody on the same page, but it didn't always work, but you're right. Like, and that's
4: why when we, we, we can do our best to facilitate that space for everyone to come in. Now they're so laid back and not used to it in this area. That's relatively new in Wisconsin. When I helped, when I said, Hey, mandatory parent meeting, they showed up. Yeah. Everybody, everybody showed up. Right. And, 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 they're used to that now, but in Utah, it's kind of new, and it's not to say anybody did anybody anything wrong, but this game's still in the infancy, right, in, yeah. in this state. I Basically, think we can all agree, yeah. yep. right, and it needs, it's got, there's a lot of room for growth. That's the positive, so hooking that into the programs and giving that, facilitating that space, but you alluded to something I want to touch on, too, is it washed over me when you talked about price tag. Oh, yeah. And I've been talking with this with Sarah, my wife, quite a bit, and 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 you're in now really fully grasping this because this is this is the way you're doing it. You're building these big programs where you're committing a big amount of a big chunk of the schedule. You're you're laying down a big investment of ice time and ice cost and jersey cost and program cost overall staffing all that flying staff members here trying to get the most quality people around. It costs money, but that's. That's just the tip of the iceberg what I, when, when someone says, "Well, I'm paying seven hundred dollars for five days," and that's, that's their angle. That's for sure. That's the consumer's angle, but they, what they forget about is like in my case, uh, it's not just five days of my on ice coaching that you're paying that for. I've been planning this thing since November, right right's it's been it's, it's like six, seven months ago, and I've been planning this thing probably forty, 50 hours a, a week at least. To coordinate all the parts and, and pieces, put them together, make it the most high-quality, detail-oriented camp that you get your most bang for your buck out of, right? And, and I think that's something that's overlooked, right? When they go and they see that sticker, they get that sticker shock. They're not looking into like, oh, whoa, maybe Jordan or Jack. They, they took six, seven months of planning this thing. And they've had to do all of these things to get us to this point where all I got to do is write a check.
2: Right, and that's what there's memes going around about that stuff too, like with electricians or whatever. You're not paying me just to do this job. You're paying me for all the experience, and you say, "Oh yeah, I put six months into to putting this together." But you also put your entire life into totally. You learned how what worked for you and what made you a first round draft pick. To you know, and then to bring that to somebody else, that's that's experience that you can't just get from a parent that read a book about hockey. And I'm not ripping on the parents that that try to coach or that do coach, because uh, I'm one of them basically, right? My only claim to fame is an e-bug. That's, that's nothing. But for somebody that's spent their whole life playing and was coached by the best coaches and you have that to, you know, to lean back on, that's experience that's worth paying for. So if it's a little bit more money, that's what, it, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for all the prep work and a lifetime of experience that you learned what was working for you and what didn't work for you or for you from some of the best coaches in the world to get you to the level that you played at. And that's for both of you.
3: Yeah. And and I, to go to what Jack said, I think that this is where it's extremely important for us as coaches to manage expectations right out of the gates. Like we have to be able to articulate extremely well, what we're delivering, why we're delivering it, what, why it's different from somebody else. However you want to explain it to a parent. Whereas to your, what you had said before, parents used to just drop kids off and not really care. And, and, as, as the game has evolved and parents want to know where their money is going, I think it's extremely important. And I've actually, you know, when I first moved here, I think that I kind of rested on my laurels of like, Hey, somebody else was helping me and uh, get goalies and things like that. And of course, when I got on the ice and talked with the parents, when I was there, it was like, okay, yes, this, the relationship between my, uh, me or the the coach and their child was like, okay, this makes complete sense. But as i was sitting here trying to recruit more goalies and nobody knew who i was or i didn't know their parents then it became more difficult so jack has actually helped me a ton in being like you need to be able to articulate extremely well what you're delivering put together when you're sending you know emails to to parents and things like that put together something that shows who you are what you're about where you're going why you're going there and then that can the parents at that point can make a decision on what they want to do they don't have to there's no gray areas anymore there's no misunderstandings this is
4: and chances are they're so not even things. gonna read right and then we, but, but still that's still work that needs to go in and right. a lot of the time I'll get an email question and I'm like you know goose rabba, <laughs> like let's chill out Jack and the very nice kind responses here's my website it's got everything on it yeah. right all you got to do is read the website but they just want that quick like hey what do I do where do I go it's like well all you got to do is go to the website but all you got to do is look at the PDF that I wrote up that I spent countless time, you know, whatever. So to speak into that, as a coach, you have to be patient, too. And a business owner, you have to, the customer's always right attitude as well. But at the same time, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like when you're more detailed, you tend to cover those bases, especially for the people that actually read it.
2: Yeah, it's and like it, in the, any office worker will know because they'll get the reply. As per my previous email... <laughs> I already covered this. Great. It's already done. Like just check out the website, and that's how we were too. We went like we took the time. I put I had a coach's profile on every every coach we had, and I try to do as much as I could. And yeah, you'd still get, you know. And at the 19 year mark, I left it because I would get those emails, and I'd be like, I I just I didn't have the patience anymore. And that's honestly why. And I told Jordan, I'm like, why don't you just coach? Like, just you can have it. I told you and Evan, I'm like, just take all the graphics, take the websites, take everything. I'm done. Like you guys run with it. But
3: it's made me, it's definitely made me a better coach because now I have to be able to think through everything that I'm doing. Like there are definitely some days where I go on the ice and I'm looking and seeing, you know, what are the things that we need to work on with this kid in particular, or I come together, uh, come to the rink with a plan of this is exactly what we're doing. And then I get to the rink and I'm like, Hey, we need to totally change this up. And if I've if I've managed the expectations in the front end of like, Hey, some things are going to change every once in a while. Or if I still stick to the, to the original philosophy of what I'm trying to do as a coach, then I always have something to fall back on. And now I have it written down and now I know exactly what it is and where it's going at all times. So no matter any shift I I make, it still always comes back to that original mission. But the the thing
4: thing. is too, what you, you kind of alluded to there, at least what washed over me was the saying of don't, don't adapt or have the uh, athlete adapt to the plan, adapt the plan to the athlete, 100%. right? Which no. is yeah. you're going to have a plan going into every practice, which is great. And you should, but mark that plan. You better, you should have made that plan with a pencil, oh, yeah. right? That's got a nice eraser on it because you're going to go out there and maybe the group that you expected to work with, maybe they're tired or maybe they're not as good as you thought. Maybe it's the first time practice with them. You're going to have to look at those things. And that's the other thing that I'm, you know, I've been sharing with Jordan behind the scenes here is what's been great about athletic development, performance training off the ice. With, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful to get to other athletes, other sports, because you learn even more about human movement, but you develop your coaching eye. And Jay, like you know, this the more experience you get, the more hours coaching kids, the more your eye develops. Oh. Is that something I need to fix? Or is that something that I need to allow the player space to adapt to, and maybe maybe he can work with that. Maybe he's got a choppy little stride. Maybe we can't fix that. Maybe we got to give him a more of a tactical skill, right? So you're developing that eye, and it's easier for me and us to say on the ice because we live that playing hockey. But for me, the beauty of doing athletic performance off the ice is now I'm like challenging that area where like, oh, that guy's left hip is a little bit tighter than his, his right. His, sh- his left shoulder is dipping in this movement. Is that something I have to fix? Or is that something that, and it's really, I'm in a gray zone right now with that. It's kind of scary because it's like you want to fix everything. But my whole point with that is, are you adapting the athlete to the plan or are you adapting the plan to the athlete? And that's what matters the most, is you, you adapt the plan to the athlete because then you're truly serving them.
2: Yeah, That was my favorite part of my last like three years of coaching is as a, as a captain with with the fire department, I would come up with a plan, right? This is what we're going to do all year. And I know that you guys are going to be at this level and we're going to go to the training tower and we're going to go cut on cars. and We're going to do this and this and this, but with athletes, you're like, all right, we're going to do this this week. And then you go into games and you're like, there's a huge gap in our training, right? Like now I can fix it. So instead of having like a three month plan, I was day to day, based on whatever I saw the day before. And I I was like, I got to the point where I'd been coaching long enough that I could be like, okay, this player or this team or this line, I can fix that problem. And it was, it was awesome. Like, cause I, you know, as a coach, you grow too. You're you're not just having your athletes grow every year. You grow as a coach. You should, you should be learning. You should be like reaching out for, or stealing stuff from other people or learning from other people. And that was, that was my favorite part. And, Uh, I've I've told you a million times how much I I would just call Jordy's dad and be like, Hey, I don't know what to do with this. And your dad would just give me some wise advice or I had some other people that I could fall back on, you know, like um, it just helped me coach. And at that, when I was coaching at the junior A level, junior A minus, whatever you want to call the junior A programs we have here, when I was coaching there, I had ice every day. So I had the opportunity every day to make a difference. And I, I took that serious too. Like you guys say, I put, I didn't just go on the ice and then make it up as I went. I had pre-planned everything I wanted to do and then adapted it as it came. And I think that's important. All right, and I know you guys are kind of cr- uh, crushed for time a little bit. So, if, let's say that everything we've just said and the parents aren't going to come to your camp. We'll promote your camp in a second. What would you advise the parents to look for in a camp? Like I said, there's tons of them coming this summer. <laughs> so <laughs> you want me to take this? No, one? No, okay. I'll, I'll let you guys pump your own in a second. But just t- just flat baseline. If somebody look, somebody, parent's like, "Hey, I got 300 bucks. That's all I can spend this summer. What what should they look for in a camp? I would like to first
4: start by saying the red flag, red flags to look out for right off the bat. Words like AAA. words words like elite. You know, like flashy on the flyer, yeah. like that's what they're advertising. Um, I would be on alert, high alert at that point if I was a parent looking at those. Look at the staff. Look at the staff's experience playing the game, but also coaching the game. You know, um, I, I think the money makers are virtually uh, they're they're claiming to be something that they're not, right? Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff. It's very overly saturated in places like Minnesota, um, other hockey hotbeds in the United States that will be claiming to be something, and then you get there, and it's, like, actually, like, rec league level, right? Um, you have people that are claiming that they can help you and, and come, to our, come to our our tournament for exposure. Like, the word exposure, too, yeah. is a pretty red flag, big red flag. Like, there's no such thing as, like, real exposure, Uh, beyond, in my opinion, uh, uh, before 14, right? Like, I I think 14 is really when people start maybe paying attention, but 15, 16 is, like, really the time when they're getting hard looks. Um, If you're leaving a state or you're going to a camp for exposure reasons before those years, um, you're probably getting um, taken advantage of financially. Oh. Um, so that would be my, my advice there for camps to go. If you're going to a camp because you want to go and have a vacation while your kid's busy in a hockey camp, or you want to go meet new people, you want your kid to play with new kids. That's great. Younger and going on up. If you want development, it's, it's really what George Shallis was on your show too. Yeah. Georgie and I talk a lot and he's like, you have to have a plan. Like, what is your plan? What are you going for here? What's your purpose here? Are you going because you want to have a good experience and you want to travel to a new place? You want to meet new people? Are you going because you want to go for development? If you really want to go for exposure, well, your kid's 11 years old. There's no such thing. Nobody's going to their games. Nobody's watching the live barn. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what rank your your 12-year-old or 11-year-old's team is. Nobody cares. I don't care what a Tier 1 organization across the country says we're fifth ranked in the country, blah blah blah. not true. There's not one coach looking at that age group paying attention to their team rank, right? So when you go 14, 15, 16, maybe the rank does something to help you. But I always say this, like if you have a kid, that's the best player on say a 50th ranked team. And then he gets invited to play for a fifth ranked team. And He's the best player, most visible. Say they played each other at one point in the previous year. That kid's probably really visible on the 50th-ranked team, but he goes to the 5th-ranked team, he probably blends right in. And when you do a tryout, and you know this, Jordan, you know this, the kids that pop out the first at a tryout when you're scouting a tryout or evaluating a tryout are the best kids and the worst kids. If you're in the middle of the road, you're in trouble. You're not standing out in any way. Now you're now it's like now you're more hidden. So if I'm a parent, I'd rather have my kid be the best player on a fiftieth ranked team or a hundredth ranked team or a hundred and fiftieth ranked team that's competing against a tenth, a top ten team in the country. And wow, look at that kid from Park City. Wow, look at him. Like he's the only kid on that team that can compete against that team. Like he's visible. Yeah, yeah that makes right? sense. Yeah. So that would be my advice would be watch out for those red flag terms, those keywords. Okay. And I would say really the best thing that you can do is teach intrinsic motivation and long-term development. That should be your plan always and go with the program that has that in place. Okay. Yeah,
3: I think that that was extremely well said. I was going to say make sure that there is a development component to it. The exposure thing is like <laughs> when you were saying that, I was like, oh, it's, I, I know so many camps that say this exact same thing.
2: They're saying exposure during your, the camp? Or just like
3: playing a tournament. Well, it's more for like summer or like um, summer tournament programs. I will
4: say this: like I know some people in the junior coaching world. I know I know player development for one of my friends now, uh, Mike Fazio, um, player development for USHL and and Chicago Steel, right? And and you know, I asked him a long time ago: like, are you really going to like games in season for fourteen years? He's like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll drop in like if they're local, but there's not like. You know it depends, right? But really, those scouts are mainly going to like the USA Hockey festivals, yeah. like where like the regional, not even the regional. You have the regional, and then you have the the, the USA Hockey Development Camp, right? Once they get they funnel all they have sift through all of it, they funnel the kids into one location. That's exposure. That's how I was discovered. I don't know about you, but I was discovered in St. Cloud at the Select Fifteens USA Hockey. It was, it was one week. It was actually several weekends. It was two weekends leading up that I had to go through each stage to get to the Select 15 camp in St. Cloud. And then I better be on during oh, that week because yeah. if I'm off, I'm not going to be discovered. And I had a great five-day camp. And then I got invited to Ann Arbor for the final, like, invite camp that they took of the best players at 87 birth year from St. Cloud or the, so they thought best players and put them in Ann Arbor for another, I think it was like another week to evaluate them. And it was like, I think they were going to sele- they selected the team, the U 17 team from that, that group. Right. So it's, it's a process. Right. That's how you got discovered for NTDP. But there were kids that didn't make it to Ann Arbor that, were evaluated by USHL, AHL scouts at the at the you know, select fifteen. So they oh. may not have made it all the way through to NTDP, but that's where they're getting ex- exposure. Um, I I love like the Wisconsin Badgers hockey camp. Like I love that being a Madison kid. Like or I don't know if North Dakota does one, but like you have all of the college coaches coaching in that camp. You have the assistant coaches on the ice who are in charge of recruiting. You have you have to understand how hockey works. Who's doing the recruiting? Really, the head coach is most likely, in every prestigious program is the closer. Yeah, he's not. He's not talking to you until he's like sealing the deal. It's over, right? But usually, it's a, the assistant coaches that come and track you down, have the preliminary conversations, try to like sell the program to you, all the things. Where are they gonna be? Is the question, right? Right, uh, a guy that's a, you know, claims he's a scout. I know guys that claim to be professional hockey scouts, and. I don't even know how they got that job. Yeah. Right? And we know that too. He's Jordan sitting here smiling. You're smiling. <laughs> like oh, yeah. we know guys that claim to be well, used car salesman. There you go. Yeah. Right. So it's really, okay, go to the places, and I told uh, there's a couple kids that like I'm friends with uh their families in Wisconsin. I said, go, you need to go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You need to go to their Badger camp. Not not for exposure's sake, just to go there. It's a great camp, but like. Yeah, inherently you're gonna get exposure because Tony Granado at that point, he's on the ice. Marco Siki, they're on the ice. Nope. That's like the one week they're allowed to be out in the ice during the year, like they have their their camp. You know, every university does it, I'm sure, like the EU has one. Get out there, and then next thing you know, you got like guys like that, they're like looking and they're going, Wow, I didn't even know that kid existed. He's pretty good. He's one of the best. I'm you know, I'm gonna put him on top of my list, I'm gonna watch him. Now I'm now, you know what? Our assistant coach, I'm going to send him to that, where that kid plays next year and watch him play. If he's a better hockey player, maybe there's something to it. If he's not, no. You'll find out, right? Then, yeah.
2: Now, we have that's Peter Benito on the show, and he kind of told us the exact same thing. He's like, the exposure is where you think, where you if you sat down and thought about it for a minute, that's where the exposure is at. It's not in all these other weird places that people are like, yeah, charging sho- you to go.
4: Some showcases, they'll say, like, yeah, yeah showcases, there are people there. Right. But again, like they got you at showcase. Right. Like the second appearance here is exposure or showcase. They think, oh, I need, to, I need to go there and I need to send my kid there. Call somebody. Just call somebody. My best advice, period, is ask for advice. Don't just jump to the conclusion and take it for what it's worth. Call somebody. Like I always offer people, you can call me. I might not have the answer, but I know. For a fact that I know somebody that knows the answer, and I can track them down. And as we all know, world's small, but hockey world's tiny. I mean, sure. a couple phone calls, I could get the head coach of Olms. I don't even know who it is in the KHL right now, but I could. A couple phone calls, I could get him on the phone, possibly.
3: Right. Real. Yeah. So, I would say that um, you know Jack and I are are both teachers, but we're also learners like we just want to know everything about this position or these positions about the game about you know jack's real big on <clears throat> the tactical side the technical side and the cognitive side yep and out of those three things what don't i know what do i think that i know and how can i learn more of those things and then how can i deliver that in a in a easily digestible way to these kids that i'm trying to coach so i you know if i'm looking at a, if i'm looking for a camp i'm looking Number one, you know, obviously you want to make sure that the staff is, for for me, for goalies, one of the biggest priorities that I had this year was decreasing the ratio between goalies and coaches. Because I felt that once I started getting to four-to-one ratio, five-to-one ratio, whatever the case may be, I was like, I don't think that we are giving the amount of time that we need to each individual kid the amount of learning all these other things and so I actually decrease that and so from a goalie standpoint or from any standpoint if you can look at that and and it says that the player to coach ratio is low that to me is like take a very very strong look at that Mm -hmm. I know that there are some goalie camps that I've seen that that come through here that there's you know 25 goalies on the ice me personally I don't know how that can work appropriately that's just my philosophy my philosophy is much more hey let's dive deep into this it doesn't always have to be just hey is the kid gassed at the end of practice you know did he get this did, did from a technical standpoint did did we fix some things from a cognitive standpoint did did we address some things that he was having a hard time with or couldn't understand like that's where this coaching is but if you have a five six seven to one ratio there's no way that you can get to that with with each one of those kids so i lowered that significantly
4: I think to speak of one word that you said at the very beginning was teach teaching. Yeah. And I think that's what I learned from Troy Ward the most. It stuck. It resonated the most is you need to be a teacher. You need to be a coach. You need to be a teacher. You need to know the difference. Right. And I, and I think that's something that you also said, we're hungry to learn more. We know what we don't know. We're, we're, we're hungry to discover more and learn more. And I think, how can you expect your athlete to adapt? And I've said this to you before, is how can you expect your adapt your athlete to adapt even within an hour or a, a month-long or a 10-week-long program when you're not adapting and growing as a coach, right, and as a teacher? And I think that the generation of kids that we have these days, like oh, I think it was Brian Burke, GM in the NHL, had said this, like, back in the day when you tell a kid to jump, he says, how high, coach? Nowadays it's why, oh. right? So... These kids are smart. Social media, whatever, they're very intelligent. They understand to ask why. And if they don't understand the why or they can't buy into the why, they're probably not going to do it. So it it stresses even more of an uh, you need to teach. You need to sit down and take the time to teach. Parents are the same. you got to teach the parents. you got to educate. In fact, business model-wise, if you don't educate, if you just expect them to pay something and you you aren't consistent and you're not managing those expectations – How can you possibly expect them to stay? No. Right? And that's the issue in this state that I hear always across the board. We got these kids leaving. We got these kids leaving. Well, it's because multiple reasons. Our programs in the state, honestly, are not working together. Right. We've had a lot of shows about that. Yeah. They're not working together. And that's another red flag. Are you, (laughs) one guy, assistant coach for St. Cloud? RJ Inga, coached me when I was at Bob Johnson Hockey School. When a kid, kid, guy could stick handle in a phone booth. Love the guy. Great man. Talked to him, reconnected, ran into him at a Lululemon at Mall of America on our way. My, my wife and I were on our honeymoon trip going to Kabul. We were flying out of Minneapolis, and I was like walking around Lulu trying to kill time and ran into RJ Inga. I hadn't seen him since I was 12 years old. I mean, how random is that, right? So when we connected right off the bat, because that's what hockey people do. Right. This is the whole point of the story. Are you a businessman or are you a hockey guy? Right? And we know the difference. If you, Within five minutes in the hockey world, you know whether the guy's a hockey guy or not. Or whether he's about himself. And a right. hockey guy, what does that even mean? He's a team player. Like he wants to help. A rising tide raises all the boats. I'm here to work with you. I'm here for the kids. Because realistically, that's all it's about. Now, if all of a sudden things are about them and trying to get their program boosted or or we need a you know more money and this and this and this, it's it's not really now we're now we're not going down the lot the path of development anymore. Right. So don't hit your trailer to that. Right. Because eventually what's gonna end up happening is people are gonna be upset from from the lack of consistency. The, the false promises, all of those things that happen all the time, yeah. and it's just going to peter out because they don't have a strong foundation. And when those storms hit, you know, it's like a biblical saying, right, where it's like if you have a foundation built to sand. When the storm, set, storm hits, what happens? Right, everything washes out. So really at the end of the day, the fix Utah hockey, first and foremost, um, we all got to work together. Right. And and we, whether it's, you know, we got a summer program, you have a summer program. I'm trying to work with Jordan. I'm trying to help him become a better coach. And he's trying to help me become a better coach. I'm trying to help him build a very successful goalie program because the goalies have been underserved and they are across the country, but especially here. Oh, yeah. I want to have a successful program because during the eight months that these kids practice in the winter, they're not being taught. They can't possibly be taught the things that I'm trying to teach them in the off season. And in fact, I will always have that as part of my coaching program is what are they getting in this season? What are they not getting in the season? I'm going to go where they're not get what, what I'm going to give them what they're not getting. And that's now we create balance. So they go back and their coaches don't have to change, right? But they get that off season balance. And I think that's me working together you know, if an organization, I always say, and I tell us to Jordan, always take the high road. And someone asks, "Will you be hooked in?" Yeah, okay. What does that mean, though? Does that mean that I have to sign a contract with you and I'm affiliated? Because that seems to be problematic in this area. Yeah. Right where oh he's with the Park City Ice Miners or he's with the Grizz or he's with Wasatch Renegades or he's with blah 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 blah, blah or, or or Ogden Mustangs or all these things. And it's like, well, I'm not going to go with him because that. And it's it's just like okay. This is this is like tier two like youth right, hockey we're right. talking about here, right? Like let's let's all get together and if we all help each other, like uh, why why can't Park City Ice Miners, uh, Grizz, the Griz, uh, Ogden Mustangs, why can't they, you know, be feeders for the tier one in the state? Why can't the tier one in the state build and mend those relationships oh, for them to be tier one fee- feeders? Yeah. Right, and and that's those are big questions. Now I'm not, my hands aren't dirty in those areas, and I'm not a part of those board meetings. (laughs) Right, but I've been a part of a few board meetings, and the general consensus is sometimes more than most. You have somebody in that chair or several that have an ulterior motive. Hundred percent. Maybe their kids in the program, right? Maybe their kids a specific position in the program. And they want to spend all their time talking about that topic in that board meeting, as opposed to what's better for the whole. Is that happening at the state board level? I mean, if I'm a gambling man, I would assume it's all one and the same, right? You have we volunteers. That's the other part of this. And, you know, I'm going very long-winded here. As you can tell, I'm very passionate <laughs> yeah. about this topic. I've talked to USA Hockey in Colorado Springs about about this state, about Wisconsin. I had to for my past job learn what boards do at the state level. Waha, Uaha, all these board associations. The funny thing is, is these board members, they forget they're volunteers. That's all they are. You're not a paid member. You don't have that much power. It's not about power. And if you're at that board chair, if you really take an intrinsic look and you're sitting in that chair because you want that power, you're probably not the person for the job. No. right? That's too much ego for that, for that chair. So I think really at the end of the day, for hockey in general in Utah, if we can all find a way, state-level board, whether I don't know. Again, I'm not saying they're not working together. Right, and there's probably some very good people on all these different levels and all these different
2: board boards. Yeah, two things can be true, right? Exactly, they're good people, and they're not working here. And easy. I'm not dogging anybody. Yeah.
4: I'm just saying, the truth be told, if we all work together, rising tide raises all the boats. Yep. We all find a way to create synergy and support each other in our different areas, in our different lanes. The kids will benefit, hundred percent, and kids will stay. Yep. But until that happens, you're going to keep seeing the best players in the state leave the state, and everyone's going to be going, "Why are they leaving?" Where well, I'm going to point the finger at you. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to be a windows person instead of a mirrors person. I'm going to look out the window every time something goes wrong and point and blame the nearest person that I, the first person I see, and that's that's not growth. We know that if you're a good hockey guy, are you a windows or a mirrors person? Oh, that's awesome, right? And yeah. I think that's that's the main takeaway here for me as a coach and what I'm trying my best, and I know we've talked about this. Our program, our summer program, our spring program is completely unaffiliated with anybody. Right. We will take any kid from any organization at any at any level, not because we're a money grab, but because when you're a program that's exclusive, now you have more pressure on yourself. Because now you got to stay exclusive. But what if like Jordan and I take the kids that aren't so great today, and then all of a sudden in a year or two from now, they're better players, better athletes, and they're better than the exclusive kids. Who looks better? Right. Who's actually helping grow the game? And I think that's why I love working with Jordan, is I know his head's in that space, and he's a hockey guy. And you know what? I'm going to attach myself to a hockey guy, and we're going to build this thing together. And if there's more hockey guys in the state that want to talk, let's talk.
2: I'm fired up about it. That's the mindset we need. And I, I can tell you that that's been, as long as I've been involved in hockey here uh, since the 80s, that's been the problem. And every time it's, it's somebody gets on a board or somebody's only worried about their parent and they keep interfering, and we constantly have good players leave. We, we've had amazing players come out of this state, but they've always left at 14, 15 because there wasn't some place to play. And now we have a Tier 1 team. Uh, Evan Soffel is no longer with that program. I think you know that. Yep. But with Evan there, I trusted that program. I knew what was going on with that program. I saw his passion and how hard he was fighting against the board, and sometimes even his own board, which is why he's not there anymore. But he was butting heads all the time trying to do the right thing for hockey and not the right thing for board members' kids or where the money's coming from, whoever's kid that is. And I'd listen to him argue on the phone with you know <laughs> people that control his job, and I'm like, so you're telling them you're cutting their kid or – you're not doing what they want. You're not going to be there anymore. And he's like, I'm not going to be here if I'm only here to do what they say. They brought me in because I'm a, I'm a hockey guy. I'm trying to make these kids better. I'm trying to make this program better. And somebody's interfering with that. Then I don't – this isn't the organization for me. So we do have a Tier 1 organization. I, I agree. We should be – everybody should be a farm club for that and trying to get their kids there so we can keep kids there. We've had draft picks – out of the last few years, you know, that with the L.A. Kings, and um, they've all left. But they the thing, too, here. is to
4: speak into this a little bit further, to, to actually give some grace here, like the Tier 1 in the state. You know, we all know Ross Hatch Renegades. Like, yep. They're trying to do the right thing, right? Let's, like, tip our hat there. Yep. Like, they've got a lot of stuff going on, and it's, like, a lot of pushback, yep. right? But really, at the end of the day, Tier 1 hockey as a whole, in my experience, has been very territorial, Right. Across the board. This isn't really a state you can be territorial in. Right. And I think that's the issue. Like we talk about this, like you have business world and you have like hockey world. Hockey world is super strange, super goofy. Like you might have like the worst business model on the planet, but like great hockey product and it's super successful than the best business model in the hockey world. But like not the greatest product. Right. It's all about your product. It's all about the consistency of that. But really, it's also about building relationships. And that's the first thing I went into Wisconsin with was like, okay, I'm entering in Wisconsin. I'm now a smaller fish in a bigger pond. I need to make sure that everybody in this immediate area knows that just because I'm wearing a director hat doesn't mean I'm like trying to tell you what to do. I'm going to build a relationship with you. We all need to find a way to work together and be diplomatic. But really, at the end of the day what's really hard to do is to be in those positions like the Wasatch Renegades are in a state where it's not a lot of hockey players to select from. And I think that's also an issue too, right? Like it, it poses the question realistically, like we're not, I'm not, it's just a question. Is this state really ready for tier one? Have, have they been ready for tier one hockey? right, in in relation to other states that have Tier 1 programs, like per, like player per capita is what I'm talking right. about, player population. Do we have enough players to select from in the state to have a healthy Tier 1 program? That's the question, and I'm not saying yes or no, and I think those are questions that need to be answered, right, yep. and, and really taking a hard look at, like, okay, if we don't, okay, we don't have enough players to have a healthy and stable tier one that's going to be competitive at the tier one tournaments. What do we do now? Right? And those are questions that we have to face. If we do, then great. We keep climbing. But how do we keep improving it? But the worst thing that could happen is to claim to be something like a tier two or a tier one, and then you go to the tier two or tier one level at the NAPHL and get smoked every game. No, What does that do for kids' confidence? Right? now you're a glorified A team playing against double-A players. Now you're a glorified Tier 2 team playing against Tier 1 players across the state. You're not really helping. You're not, you're not really helping these kids develop. And I think those are the questions, the hard questions that need to be answered. And, um, yeah, like you alluded to, the responsibility of ice time and the effect that you can have on your players during that hour. I think the people in these leadership roles across the board, Tier 2, Tier 1, rec, doesn't matter whatever level you are whatever leadership role you're in you have a responsibility to the people you're serving to give them the best product possible and it's a gut check at some point and are you willing to look in that mirror and i think that's really what
2: it boils down to yeah i agree all right so let's talk about your camp let's let's how do people sign up for your camp you mentioned you have a website
4: yeah so i have uh, jackskillyhockeyacademy.com and literally, you just go on the tab, you'll see spring program, summer program. That's all we have so far this year. That's all I want. I didn't want to oversaturate things and no. overcomplicate things. Um, we're still fielding, fielding a lot of questions, as simple as I've tried to make it, and that's okay. Yeah. It's part of the learning curve. And so the summer program is, is a month-long, June 5th through June 30th, at the Oval. Um, we have George Chalice is helping me out with it. Um, Mike Adamak, um, I've become really good friends with. Another hockey guy, yeah, as I sure. say, yep. um, cares a lot about the kids. And then we have Dusty Campbell, who's been doing private lessons at the Oval too. He's starting. He just moved from California. He's a good guy, and he's also going to be our strength and conditioning coach. Jordan, obviously, is going to be on the ice with us. And then what I'm excited the most about is we have some young college guys that are going to be kind of camp counselors, if you will. And uh, why I'm excited is it's it's more of like an internship thing, like a paid internship. So we're teaching them how to coach, like we're oh, developing nice. them as coaches. So For me, it's not only parent education, but it's also internship coaches are the future of the program. Um, You know, parent education, really good refined detailed product, but also like sustainable coaches over a long period of time. That's how you're going to have retention. So um, this program at June is going to be kind of a flavor saver of what I'd like it to be. And we've talked about this. We'd like to find a way to fuse together completely and make an eight to 10 week summer program that people can count on every single year. Year one, four weeks just to kind of introduce it.
2: Nice. Jordan, is it safe for you? So, yeah, I mean,
3: working with Jack this for this spring and this summer for his camps. And then uh, my camp is just uh, P-A-R-I-S-E com And, like I said at the beginning, we have changed it up a little bit, so we're going to be doing the entire – we have three different camps this year. We'll be doing a July 5th through the 27th for the prospect camp, July 5th through the 22nd for the, the other group, which is the elite camp. Um, the Prospect camp is four days a week. Elite camp is two days a week, and then we have our weekend program. That's the the development model. Uh, we're in the process of getting all the registration and everything like that done on the website, so it'll be a couple of days. I don't know when this comes out, but it'll be a couple of days. But either way, go to that website, parisehockey.com.
2: parise-hockey.com. Yep, Paris with an E. Was Paris, Paris with an E, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you thought <either laughs> said that or is that? I think both of us did. Oh, yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Okay, well, guys, uh, man, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And we've we've touched on a lot of things that I've touched on before, and I've tried to – help educate the parents around here as as much as possible, especially like, you know, it's not very often we get to have guys with such pedigrees on. And, uh, I think with, when we had Peter on here, I think, were you here for that? No. He kind of annihilated Utah hockey a little bit with some of the stuff he said. I think he, and I don't really think he meant to, he, he doesn't know what's going on here, but he mentioned a lot of the stuff you mentioned before. And it just, he hit the nail on the head for a lot of things that were wrong here. And I think it, uh, it made people start taking a look internally and at their organizations that they were being loyal to, and hopefully, this does the same. And hopefully, the organizations take a look at themselves.
4: I'll, I'll say the last thing I do want to touch on too is like speaking into what you were saying. The the responsibility of the parent here is to be patient, right? The lily pad jumping, yeah. My kid didn't make the team that I was expecting my kid to make. So I'm going to go to this other organization where they're going to promise that he's on the team, but he's not going to play all year. But they want your tuition, man. Right. That's literally why they're taking you. Like, we got to see that. Maybe your kid is better suited for a travel team instead of a tier two just this year. You know, maybe he hasn't hit his growth spurt yet, right? We need to be patient. We need to give these organizations a chance. Whether you're tier one in the state, whether you're tier two in the state, it doesn't matter. Stick with it, stay put. What does it do to your – like, think of it this way. What does it do to your kid's education in school if you just you, – oh, I don't like that teacher, so I'm going to go to this new school this year. Oh, I don't like that teacher now next this next year of school. Like, I don't like him. I didn't like him. We're going to go back to the other school. And we keep switching back and forth from education curriculum to curriculum. That's going to mess up your kid educa- kid's education. It's the same for athletic development, oh. right? You do need to hear different voices, but you shouldn't have to, like – you know, drive an hour and a half um, unless you, that's like the closest organization that is, it, that <laughs> right, is right. to you. Right. You shouldn't have to drive to, in order to be on the label team that you think your kid deserves to be on. right? right? Um, there are, poli- there are politics. Now, if there's politics involved and that's very obvious, we're not like, we're not manufacturing that in our head. Like, then, okay, jump. But give it a couple years each jump, right? Yeah. Stay patient. Yeah,
3: it's amazing how many uh, how many kids are noticed or how many kids move on when they score 50 goals a year. It's not that they, like, you know, went from Park City to Ogden. It's, if, if you have a kid that is constantly developing and constantly scoring goals or constantly putting up great numbers in net or constantly getting a lot of assists or constantly known as a guy that's a great locker room guy, it's amazing how they just continue to move on. It's not because they jumped around a bunch or anything like that. So, I, like, that's always one of the misconceptions is, what does my kid need to be on a different team? Maybe he does, but maybe he just needs to get better.
4: I've had, ki- I've had experiences as a coach where a kid clearly, I mean, let's talk about the human eye is attracted to graceful movement. I've said this. <laughs> yeah. like, you're like, why is ballet so attractive, right? Like, it's beautiful movement. Male and female, they're, they're, mu- they're moving gracefully. Gymnastics, best athletes in the world, right? Like they move very well. As a coach, when you're evaluating, I alluded to it, the first, the best player and the worst players. Oh, yeah. You can see that because of human movement, yep. whether with, with the puck or not. It's like, wow, that kid's an athlete. Now, can he play hockey? Can he process the game? That's the difference. I just told that to a parent before I started this podcast. That was my advice. Like, but at the end of the day, when you're a parent, Like, can we check our emotions at the door? Like, do we have that eye? Like, are you seeing what the evaluators are seeing? Are you seeing your kid out there and want what's best for your kid? And really, at the end of the day, if your kid gets cut, are we doing what's best for our kid by jumping to a different organization and him not playing? I can't tell you how many times I've seen in this state in particular where I've been an evaluator. I've Let's not even use the harsh word cut. I haven't allowed a player to make a team, a certain team, because I felt best for that development, and so do the other evaluators in the room. For him to be on the lower-level team so he can be the, one of the better players and get confidence and really fly out there and score a lot of goals, that'll help him more than being one of the worst players on this team. I can't tell you how many times that's been a scenario, and then I've seen that family get outraged, leave the program. We're going to go over here, okay? That's the email, Okay. We're still here if you ever decide to come back. We're not going to – you're not burning us. Right. Sorry, you're not. They go, and then we play against that team, and these kids are not playing. They're on the bench, or they're playing like two minutes during that game. And I'm like sitting there going, my goodness, what are we doing? Like, can you not see this? Like, was that ego trip, like was that like middle finger – To the program, that organization, was it really worth it in the end for your kid? And that's the question, right? And I think we can, the lesson is, and I'm not trying to tell anybody how to parent. It's like, are you really helping your kid overcome adversity? Or are you just like teaching your kid that like, if you don't get what you want, don't worry, don't worry, I'll get it for you. Right. Right? What kind of life lesson is that? Right. Because last time I checked, one of the guarantees of life is we all get to we all pass on and move on in the other world. Right. And what happens to your kids when you leave them behind and you've taught them that lesson? If you fail, don't worry. I'm going to I'm going to pick up all the pieces for you and I'm going to make sure you get what you want for you. You don't have to do anything. Don't worry about it. I'll handle it. What kind of message is that? And I don't think uh, I think that's the beauty of sports. Like sports teaches us oh. the 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 um, resiliency, and- the resiliency, and the the positives of life lessons of like pushing through and maybe still failing.
2: Yeah, you're not going to win them all. I was just having this talk. I have a grandson now, and I was just having a talk with his mom, and I was just like, the the good thing about playing sports is that. You learn that you win and you lose and that you're still okay. And then it's, if you lose, you can work harder. You can figure other stuff out. You didn't lose because you got cheated necessarily. Sometimes it happens, but. It also doesn't mean you're a failure. Right. It just means it didn't work out this time. Work harder. Do something better. Do, you know, learn from it. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's one of those things. I think athletes, well, you know, that's why the military always looks for athletes. Is they look for people that can, if they're in a bad spot, they're going to figure it out and be like, all right, I'm in a bad spot. I can get out of it though. It's not the end of the world, mm-hmm.
4: and I think too that to speak a little bit further into that, we're going so long. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, the guy I am supposed
4: to go on a fat tire bike right uh, now is probably losing it. But um, to speak into that too, as a coach, when I talked to you earlier talked about earlier the off ice development stuff that the, 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 in the gym space around the field, um, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I didn't learn my work capacity or my threshold on the ice. Like, I learned how hard I could push myself off the ice, you know, on that six mile run after practice or before school started in the weight room by myself. And I'm not tooting my own horn. That was for a fact what happened. And probably the same for you. The guys that make it are doing those things. They're learning the value of hard work, how hard they can possibly push themselves when they're doing those things. But it's evident that that's not happening for the majority in this state. Because kids, their work ethic is off on the ice. It's just not there. It's like they don't understand how far they can push themselves. And to me, that's not that's not a repetition thing on the ice. That's an off ice thing, right? That's a other sport thing. Yeah. That's just an athletic thing. And then there's our there's a handful of kids every program that you're like, oh, that kid gets it. Like he's got it. He knows yeah. that he's got another gear or two, nope. right? And then that's another complaint, like. You have a kid, George Shalos brought this up. he pointed out pointed out like how many d one athletes from how many programs during the year like it was a stat It was oh, so yeah. funny, okay, like the kids in this state of Utah where are they majority like the majority of them going to go play when they leave
2: Ours Are going to Colorado Colorado yeah,
4: Nevada, right, some even Arizona no right they're going. To those places, and if you look at those three states on this list for like how many D1 commits, they're like less than Florida. Wow. Right? So like they're going for exposure. They're going to develop their kids, but they're I mean, you're going to states that have like a terrible track record. Wow. So it's it's not about going, you know, it's kind of like um I got a big problem in my life, right? And I things aren't working. So I'm gonna buy this massive house. Or I'm gonna buy this brand new Corvette. And I'm gonna go do this. (laughs) And my life's gonna be different. Or I'm gonna have a kid. Right. Or I'm gonna get that dog. You know, like I'm gonna like make this crazy life decision and everything's gonna be better. It's not true. If the problem is work ethic, if the problem is I can't persevere, if I can't push. If you go and send him to a tier one program, your kid there, like he's the same kid, right? Like it doesn't, no. you're, you're relying on these extrinsic factors that are not necessarily driving forces, right? It's really the driving force is intrinsic. So I always find that funny when I talk to parents like, well, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I go there? Okay, well, look at the track record of the state. Like, are you really going for development? Who's coaching? Like, what's the program's track record? Are you going for exposure? Like, let's answer all these questions. And then, really, at the end of the day, let's, great, you have all that information. Now, does little Johnny's work ethic align with all of that? Yeah. Because, really, at the end of the day, that's who's out on the ice.
2: Right. So, it has to be their passion. A lot of, and a lot of parents forget that part. If the passion's not there for that game, for that kid, if he's not the one that's like, I want, if he's not pushing himself to be in the gym by himself in the morning, like your parent can drop you off, but, you can't make him do the work or have a work ethic. It has to be the passion of the game, or it has to be in the kid. And
4: realistically, this is the best way to maybe a funny way to note. Like realistically, your kid could be the hardest worker ever. And what was the what's the what's the expression in um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where the he worked real hard, Grandpa, and uh, or no, he worked real hard, Grandma, and the Grandpa responds, well, so do washing machines, right? Because at the end of the day. Hard work isn't it. That's not the only thing, right? So, like, your kid could be the absolute hardest worker on the planet. Like, most hardworking kid you've ever seen in sports. But he might still stink. Nope. And that's okay. Like, but your, your eye, like, trust your eye. If he's not really doing much out there, if he's not really looking put together like the other kids, and he gets cut or he gets demoted to a different team, like, let's not take that personal. I know it's really hard. But, like, maybe he just hasn't grown into his frame yet, or maybe he just doesn't have an athletic gene in his body. Right. Yeah. Sorry, but that's... Either and, that, and that's
3: okay, too. It doesn't make him a bad kid. It doesn't make him a bad kid.
4: Right. Right? It has nothing to do with his identity. Right? Yep. He's still a great kid. He might be the best rocket scientist. He might you know, like <laughs> yep. be the first kid to, to land on Mars.
3: But I think that there's so much potential here And this is kind of like why Jack and I are doing this. Is there's potential for really good hockey? There's enough rinks. There's enough uh, athletic kids. There's you know we you have you're you're up in the mountains. You you, all these kids do other other types of like aggressive sports and things like that. Like it's there. Like the potential is there. Um, It's just a matter of like Jack said a long time ago. Just a matter of everybody working together and how can we make Utah hockey collectively how can we all sit down as coaches how can we all sit how can I sit talk to other goalie coaches that are around and not look at them as, as competition and just say listen the whole point of this is how can we develop good hockey players and that's it yeah. and if we could all just sit down and talk about it for a second and actually put a, a plan in place and start pushing forward the potential is there for some some really good things in the future here
4: yeah just the, the, the competition's got to stop no. Right, like uh, oh, if you're not with me, you're against me. Attitude, like no. that's that's business world. That's great, good. You might be a great businessman. You're not gonna, people are gonna sniff that out in the hockey world, man. Like you're not gonna get anybody that's relevant in the hockey world as a hockey guy to come in and work for you. They're gonna smell it. They're gonna, they're, chances are, they're not even gonna go want to be around you after an interview because they're gonna be able to spot it within five minutes. That oh, you know what? I don't really want to work for that guy no. because I can go do this on my own. Right? And it's becoming more and more prevalent. So you're either a relationships guy, hockey guy, and not competitive and you're about the kids. Or you're a great businessman that has this amazing idea that takes a lot more work than you realize because you don't know much about the demographic of people you're trying to appeal to. And you're not really much of a relationships guy. It's your way or the highway. You're a micromanager. You're, you're like you're, you're going to die. No. Your, your program's going to die. It's just not going to work, right? So at the end of the day, I think really what we're seeing in this state, I'm hearing more conversations than ever before about like, gosh, just what you said, I hope, I wish we all work together. No. And it's easier said than done, like no doubt, right? It takes a lot of hard questions to well, be
2: answered. I even I tried to get all the leaders of all the organizations to come on the show at once. Just come on and let's talk about who you are, what your goal is, and what role you fill as far as Utah hockey. Where should the best kids be? How can we help each other push kids into, you know, being better athletes? How, how can we all work together to make all of this work? And that has to be, they have to talk, they have to communicate, and they have to accept their role as tier two and understand that maybe your best player on tier two is going to leave your team and go play tier one.
4: Here's a wild and out left field comment. This might be a whole different podcast, right? But like, I just came from Wisconsin, grew up in Wisconsin. Their model is like tier two hockey, double A hockey. It ends like second year bantam. Yeah. If you're not on the varsity high school team by the time you're done with like 14U hockey, you're probably not, you're probably on JV. You're probably not going to play hockey beyond high school. That's just the way it is. If you play sixteen U level, it's tier two or tier one. That's it, right? It's midget, like midget hockey, and that's tier one. Um, There's not very, you know, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure it's the same. Like, there's not very many sixteen U tier two, if if any, in in the state of Wisconsin. Now, if you look at high school hockey, it's it's thriving. Like, it's not the greatest hockey, but it's still like you're playing in front of your. Your peers, some some towns that right. sell out crowds. Look at Minnesota's model, right now. Oh, that's geez. per yeah. capita population wise, It virtually might might as well be Canada, yeah. right? But and we can't say it's the same for Utah. We can't say that that model in Wisconsin or Minnesota's model would work best in Utah. But I will say this: we have things backwards here, right? Development is bottom or like grass grass level on up. Like we're trying to go like top down. You're like, we got this tier one. Now we're going to do this and this and this. We're working backwards. We're like, we got USPHL and now NCDC junior hockey in the state. But, like, who's funneling up into those programs? It's all funneling downwards. It's not how you do it, right? Like, you have to have these grassroots learn to play 8U, 10U, 12U, 14U, and feeding all of it for it to be a successful development model. But then the state, like, you should have healthy high school hockey, like, if you have healthy high school hockey, then think about ice, like, let's let's we got 8 or 9, what, 10 maybe, Olympic facilities within a 40-mile radius here? Yeah. Like count it. Right. Why is ice time an issue? Yeah. How could that possibly be the case? Right? Like, we have all these community-owned ice rinks that are plugging in, like sled hockey, which is great, you know, like speed skating, yeah. all yeah. that stuff, but how many people are actually showing up and using that ice? Let's talk about that for a second. That's one issue. The other issue is... Maybe it's because we have too many Tier 2, two teams beyond Bantam in yeah. this state.
2: I've never honestly thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. It's gobbling up all the ice. And those Tier 2 players are ineligible to play high school hockey?
4: No, not true. Are they
2: eligible to play now? That's part of the problem.
4: Okay. So Tier 1, I don't know, maybe they changed that. Last year, I was the head coach for Park City. I had Tier 1 players and Tier 2 players on okay. my team. I maybe had 7, consistently 7 or 8 out of the 20-man roster show up to practice. Right, twice a week, yeah. half ice practices with JV, because in this state you can't have a varsity and a JV. You have to have a D one, D one two, and a D two. Right, we we keep, for whatever reason we just can't say like, your varsity, your JV. If you didn't make JV, you're probably first year in hockey. Let's go. We got a rec program for you, right? Like huh. it's just like. You know, you have uh, uh, D1, uh, from my understanding, D1, white white and red in Park City. Like, fine, but, like, why can't we just, like, call a spade a spade here? Right. And just say, like, varsity JV. We Like, our parents really get – if parents are that upset about the fact that your kid didn't make varsity, come on. Like, as a freshman, <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, we see it as uh, we have varsity JV in lacrosse. There's no problem there. Why is hockey an issue? Right. Right? So but what I'm trying to allude to here is – the healthy high school programs in the state, the best part about high school hockey, I played it. I didn't play Tier 1 in high school. I played high school hockey, and then before and after my high school season, I played Tier 1 for the, the all-star high school team, Team Wisconsin. That's what it was. That's what it was in place for. Now Team Wisconsin's different. They have all the way down to 12U. When I was there, it was only no. there for high schoolers. No. But anyways, what I'm getting at is if you have healthy high school hockey, those kids – What healthy high school hockey looks like, what does that mean? Monday through Friday, they have practice, an hour of practice, every day after school. And then they have maybe Mondays and Wednesdays or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a team workout. Maybe Wednesday nights is a game night, guaranteed. Saturday night's a game night or Friday night's a game night. You keep it within the school education realm. But here's the benefit. If you have a varsity and a JV team doing that, they're all practicing together year-round. They're all getting... Mind, body, the coaches are able to teach these things in their programs, right? And they're sticking together. And then, now we got a Team Utah, Tier 1, that can be the high school all-star players of this state that will play together and compete against the Wasatch Renegades locally, which will never happen. right? Or travel to Vegas or Dallas or Minnesota a couple weekends before and after the high school season and get their extra Tier 1 games in. Right. And what you get there is, okay. well, how could we can't do that? Well, yeah, you can if you remove the 16U tier two and the 18U tier two. If you remove that and you say, you guys, we don't have those tier two programs anymore in the state. You want to play 16U or 18U? Go play Wasatch Renegades tier one. If you're not good enough, you're going to play for your local high school. Right. And now we have our varsity or JV. If you're not good enough for varsity, you're on JV. If you're not good enough for JV, maybe we got this, like, club rec team that plays one night a week, right, against all the other club rec teams. You guys don't even practice. Perfect. Right? So it opens up all of this ice time, all of this time where you can stay together, stay as a group, move as a group, and the coaches have a much more profound effect like the other sports in the state that are so good and healthy. Yeah. And I think that's, like, a very extreme – measure to a lot of parents and like probably maybe some parents that are as a 16 U parents hearing this right now, go no way. Right. Well, cause their kid dramatically gets affected by that or a 14 U kid dramatically gets affected by that change. No, but it's like, that's the best thing that my opinion now, just my opinion. And maybe it's like a, a thing of economics, like, you know, that change could alter something down the line, in a negative space. Oh, I haven't found that yet, but I've been thinking about this quite a bit. Yeah. It's like, if we can have tier two, healthy tier two up to 14, u and then we have also in the same time frame we have tier one going on in the state. Right. And then we have, if your kid doesn't make varsity as a freshman, he's got the option of playing JV or his second year of tier two. And then beyond that point, you're a high school player, right? Or tier one, and if you're one of the best high school players in the state, because we've got this model, now we can do the tier one before and after model because we have a healthy high school product. Yeah. Now we got some really healthy and sustainable hockey players, and that might take two, three years, right? So I think really at the end of the day, it's like whoever's in charge in this state should really—I don't know—maybe they have, maybe they not. They haven't, but they should look at other states and why they are healthy, and why they are unhealthy. Why that model works, and why that isn't. And we are literally, and I said it earlier, we are in the infancy of hockey in this state. So, like, why do we have all of these things that the state isn't really ready for? We need to do, like, grassroots, grow it. Right? Like, my hope, as I said this last night after practice for a spring program, my hope is that 10U, 12U, those kids are learning things that the 14U kids this year are learning, because the 14U kids this year, sorry, the 12U, 10U, 12U kids, 12U kids especially in this state or in, in Wisconsin and Minnesota, already know the things that the 14U in our state doesn't. Right. Yeah. So we need to like, okay, I want to see this happen earlier. I need it. We need to plug in these. These tactical situations, how to angle correctly, how to cut off a player's hands at, at 12U, how to do an indirect pass. I mean, get off the wall, make an indirect, skate into space. What happens when the puck's traveling to you? Do you keep drifting backwards or do you jump to space? These All these things that our 14U kids are not doing. I right. watched the scrimmage. Practice-based evidence. Watched the scrimmage last night. None of them really can do a uh, high-quality indirect they don't really jump to space very well. They they don't know how to angle correctly with stick position, body position, you know, all of these things that they should have already learned at 12U hockey. Right. Like I, as a peewee, I was learning how to, We was contact when I was playing peewee hockey. So right. I was already learning how to hit right at 12U, right? So we had already learned how to angle probably like 10U. Like, okay, we're not allowed to hit at squirts, but we can angle correctly and Like, rub them into the boards. You know, I learned that stuff at 10U. These kids at 14U don't even know how to do that in the state. And it's not to knock anybody. It's just that's how early on in the development world we are for hockey. And so you have to tweak the whole model to, 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 to adapt. You have to adapt the model to it. Don't make all these players in the state adapt to your program adapt to the, the program to what the players in their state need and that's what needs to be answered and figured out
2: that's awesome those are great ideas and we will have to have another show about it maybe we can get the other leaders on from these other organizations and just talk about it and work stuff out i know that my whole intent with the show is to grow the game and to help things get better here and we've had a lot of a lot of success so far in getting people in here with their ideas, and it would be good to get, get it going. But it's good to have resources like you guys permanently here. I think one of those things, you talk about guys not knowing, some of the fundamentals as they're growing up. We also have parents that have no idea what hockey is. Their kids start playing, and now they're coaching. And they don't know what to teach, angling. And I remember I was, I was yelling at a kid that I was coaching one time. I was like, you know, you didn't gap. Are you, I need you to close that gap, close that gap. And then finally he comes to me, and he's like, coach, I don't. What are you talking? What about? are you talking about? Close the gap. He's like he didn't, he didn't know, and I didn't. It didn't realize to me. I was coaching. That was, you know, junior A.
4: Well, now you're like reaching another topic of but, like the like the best part about what USA Hockey's done is also the worst. USA Hockey's made it accessible to virtually anybody to get a certification to take a a, a level one, level two, level three, and so on, and so forth, and get instruction the problem is with that model is now usc hockey's empowered them to believe that they know all the answers like usc hockey sells such a product they're like we're going to teach you everything that you need right great that's awesome but like to the naive person that doesn't understand that that's not true i've been playing this year since i was uh, this game since i was a kid i've been coaching it now for five years i don't I'm a different person, a different coach than I was last year. I'm going to continue to be a different person, especially five years ago, when I started out as a coach. I'm going to be completely different. Twenty, I don't know everything. There's no chance. and Everything I just said on the whole spiel of the model of this, this state could it all be wrong. I could look back on this conversation five years from now. And go, what was I talking about? Right. That's the truth. But I told this to a guy at USC hockey, pretty high up. I said, the problem with your level five, I'm a director of hockey i'm interviewing people to hire people at this academy yeah. and they have level five certificate yeah. written on the resume and I'm like, oh my God, I scratch them <laughs> automatically I'm not even talk to them yeah because if you think that a level five is convincing enough that you know the answers then you know nothing that you just showed me you know nothing about the game of hockey yeah. um, it empowered people with level five to say well i'm I'm a level five, so I can teach level ones. So I must know everything. Right. Right. Well, in reality, you might have zero hockey background. You might be wearing the wrong coaching attire. I'm not going to go too far into detail there, but like you might not even know what you're doing out there, but you're teaching people how to get level one coaching certification certifications at USA hockey. To me, that's a problem. And I shared that with, a brass member of USA hockey and it was pretty bold of me to do so. But I did say, you know, like laughing matter. I was like, you know what you should do to fix that? Make a level six and say like the level six, you can only achieve a level six. If you've played junior hockey and above oh. and you're a coach, if if you, you can get a level six, if you've played junior hockey and above, that's your level six, Right. Most likely, if someone got a level six with that hockey background, they're probably not going to promote it onto their resume. Right. Maybe I'm wrong. But, again, certifications are just uh, whatever. They're pieces of paper. They're ways ways to make money.
2: To me, it was – they were – I just had to jump through those hurdles so that I could coach. Exactly. You know, and and it was like a couple times I felt like I went through those and there wasn't anything offered that I didn't know. And then there were a couple times there were, you know. But most of the time, you're just like – This was a waste. Kevin Constantine taught one of mine, though. I learned a ton from that. He's such a genius. But most of the time, you're just sitting in there with somebody, like you said, some other level five, that you're like, you don't know what you're talking about.
4: And see, I want to go get a level five. I'm a level four right now. I want to go get a level five because I've heard of people speaking there. You actually learn. So, like, if it's an opportunity to learn and grow from it, like, I'm all about it. But, like, don't sit there and, like, Talk down to people right. that don't have a level five. Yeah. If you don't have the hockey experience to back it up, yeah. right, or the coaching experience even. You just Your experience is you went through the certification process. Yeah. Awesome. How many personal trainers do we know that work at the Orange Theory, LA Fitness, all that, and have every single alphabetic letter behind their name, but are the worst coaches on the planet, and they're <laughs> right. like you see them like training their kid. like, wow, I wouldn't pay you the ash change, or the the tray, the the change in my ashtray of my car yeah. to train me for an hour.
2: Right now, I just said something we have to edit. <laughs> no, I, said, <laughs> I know, I yeah, know.
4: Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's it's interesting to me that whole dynamic of USA hockey is really trying to do the right thing. But again, it's like you know, it's the law of economics. Like you make one move here, and then everything else is yeah. the law of physics, right? It's just yeah. kind of like.
2: Unintended consequences.
4: Unintended con- consequences, you know, innocent, innocent bystanders, so.
2: Well, it's no doubt things need to change. Like, we, here in Utah, we need to change some things. And we need to do whatever is better for the kids. And if that means blowing up the system and starting, starting anew, and maybe I shouldn't admit this out loud, but when uh, I, was, I was put in a day position for the fire department, and they're like, hey, uh, we need you to come up with an entire curriculum for our high school program. That's like going to this tech college at the same time. And they need a whole firefighter program. And I said, oh, okay. And they're like, you have two weeks to get it done. I'm like an entire curriculum. How, the, how am I supposed to do this? So what I did is I looked at other schools and I looked around the country. Who has the best program? What's working? What's actually taking these high school kids and getting them into firefighting? And I found one and I got their curriculum. And then I opened it up on Windows and everywhere it said its name. I had Windows change it to Unified Fire Authority. And then I just gave that to the school. Was it lazy on my part? Yeah. But was it... I went for the best program around. I looked and said, this, these guys have something that's working. We do not. I want something that works. I'm not reinventing the wheel. And so I just did that. And it seems like we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again that doesn't work. We, we've sent so many players to Colorado... And, yes, a couple of them, two of them made the NHL, three of them. If you go back to Connor Walchuk, he left Young, too. And we keep sending these players around. But, man, if we kept those guys here at the same time, like we'd have phenomenal teams. The, the, also,
4: the, the whole thing is, in hockey, it is known, at 16, 15, 16, you pretty, if you're one of the best in your state, you're most likely leaving, right? right? unless you're Minnesota. So that's, like, but when, when we start seeing players leave at 13, 14 or two, right. like, that's a problem, yeah, yeah. right? And yep. I think that's what's going on in the state. I think, to, to clarify to parents listening, like, that's what we're talking about yep. today. Like, like kids leaving at 13, 14, it's too early. Like, that's another year of, at home that you could have them in your home under your yeah. own roof.
2: Teach them right from wrong. Yeah. And Try to teach them not to pick soccer. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you can just walk in the room. That's what I've said okay all right i know you've got things places you got to be and and things you guys want to do uh i mean i do this this is awesome this is great i i think it was great too i mean this was a great discussion and this is exactly what this market needs to hear uh you guys i'm i can't thank you guys enough for being back in the market i mean this is exactly what we need and jordan i've been telling you this for years and jack i didn't i get to really meet you before but i've been telling jordan forever i'm like just freaking come here and coach and coach because the goalies need it uh, you taught, we taught Oliver, and now he's out making – that's what he does for a living. He's coaching in Chicago. He to- Perfect. He coaches goalies. We need him to come back too. We need I, – I just – our kids can grow. We have the athletic kids. We have the ability. We have the ice time. We need the coaches. We need people with an actual understanding of the game to coach. And, and then, the focus being on
3: the kids. And the focus being Default on the kids. working together. Yeah, yeah. working together, yep.
2: Outstanding. Outstanding. So the
4: thing is, one pitch I want to say about my camp. I don't know why I can't speak into yours, but my my stuff. I genuinely want to grow this thing to the degree where I can keep it affordable. Right. Right? Like the more members we get, the more consistent attendance we get and tuition we get, the more affordable I really can make it. Yeah. Right? Right now, this is solely me as the owner of this, and I'm paying staff to do all this, right? I, I'm not I don't have a facility. I don't have to worry about facility costs. You know what I learned in my last job? Uh, hybrid studio rink, not even an NHL sheet. Anywhere between six dollars and $8,000 a month for refrigeration costs alone. Yeah. Okay. So that's a year-round thing unless you melt that ice, right? So if you have a facility you're going to have way more overhead and your pricing is going to be way, way higher. You're going to have to get that break even point. But for me, like that's where I I don't really want a facility. I want to rent. I want to try to keep the overhead low. I want to keep the attendance high, the quality high with coach to player ratio. But I really want to be mindful of what you alluded to earlier of like, yeah, goalie pads alone are like over a grand, you know, skates are a grand now, right? Like, Hockey's expensive. What about the parent with two or three, four kids? Even the parent with one that can barely afford it, right? Let's try to keep it economical and for the community. Would I like to be paid for my time? Yes. I mean, you have to be. Yes, right? Would I like this to be my central focus in life? Sure, right? So I need attendance for that to be the case, and I also need that business-wise to be able to knock down the price tag. And that's my goal long-term is to get a 10-week program in place in the summer with a lot of kids, and then we can keep it in a reasonable price tag without getting greedy with it, right? And I think that's to remove sticker shock, you know, no. and, and just really focus on development. That would be a, a good thing.
2: Okay. JackSkillyHockey.com.
4: JackSkillyHockeyAcademy.com.
2: Jacks, com, yep. Jordan, just Parisi hockey. Paris with an E, yep. hockey. I think everybody knows how to spell it now. But, I don't know. It's one of those one of those words that's everybody says it wrong and everybody spells it wrong. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate your time. We will have you on again. We can talk about this more. We can get into it. We'll have more guests on, and uh, we'll just make this, you know, we'll just keep helping help grow the game, make it better here. Cool. Thanks awesome. for having me, yeah, Jay. Thanks, yeah, thanks, Jay. That's right. great. Thanks, guys. That is the Utah Puck Report.